And would you uh, open up your Bibles uh, to Exodus chapter 15? I'm just going to give a little introduction, and then David's going to read uh, for us. So, uh, yeah, you guys might, might want to move now. So Exodus chapter 15, and it's, uh, it, we're going to have that reading in a moment. So it's page 73. Now, Ellie, you might want to go on to the sermon um, PowerPoint. I want to give a, uh, just a, a little introduction because um, we're coming back into a sermon series in the book of Exodus, which we started early last term. Where are we up to? Well, we've just left at the end of last term. We just left God's people uh, singing beside a river. They're singing God's praises by the river because the Lord has rescued them. They were slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh's cruel whip. But the Lord rescued them. He sent Moses to go to Pharaoh to demand that God's people be let go. And Pharaoh refused. So the Lord sent plagues on Egypt. And eventually after the 10th plague, the plague of the firstborn, Pharaoh said that the Israelites should leave. So they left. But after they'd gone, Pharaoh changed his mind and chased after them. The Israelites were then trapped. They were trapped between Pharaoh's army approaching them and the Red Sea. But the Lord rescued the Israelites, bringing them through the Red Sea, but drowning Pharaoh's army. And the people were rejoicing in chapter 15. And that is where we left them. They were singing their song of celebration. Chapter 15, verse 2, uh, where it says, The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. Now, the next section that we're going to look at today uh, covers chapter 15, verse 22, to the end of... Uh, uh, to, actually, is it the end of 17? Ooh. Yes, it is the end of 17. Yes. Chapter 15... It helps if I know, doesn't it? Um, chapter 15, verse 22, to the end of 17. And in it, the Israelites now face some severe threats to their existence as they go through wilderness. Just skim through the headings with me. So chapter 15, verse 22, where it says the waters of Marah and Elam. This is where the, the people of God, the Israelites, uh, run out of water and the Lord provides for them. Then chapter 16, the heading there, manna and quail, the people of God run out of food. There's no food there. You can see the headings. You can see on the screen this as well. So no water, then no food. Then the beginning of chapter 17, uh, there's no water. So water from the rock. Again, they, they don't have water. And then the last bit, verse 8 to 16, so to the end of chapter 17 there, they're under attack. Uh, from, uh, uh, from the Amalekites who come and attack them. So, do you see, you've got four instances there where the people of God are under threat. Now, we're going to look at, we're going to sort of skim over, but we're going we're gonna to look at three of those. We're going to look at no water, no food, and no water. But I'm going to leave you, the one under attack by the Amalekites, I'm going to leave that for you to uh, read uh, some other time, uh, this week maybe. And so we're going to look at those first three, three incidents. 
And to begin with, David is going to read for us the first of those incidents. So you want to go back to page 73, and David's going to read uh, from chapter 15 for us. Thank you, David. So just to repeat, page 73, Exodus chapter 15, starting at verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there are 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Thank you, David. So, here are the Lord's rescued people going through a severe trial. In fact, going through, as we'll see, several severe trials. And as we've noticed noticed many times in the Bible before, actually, uh, they are not facing these difficulties because they're being disobedient, but rather because they're obeying the Lord. They obey the Lord uh, and go where the Lord tells them to go, and yet they're facing these difficulties. Now, this is a pattern for us too, those who turn to Jesus to follow him. Christians uh, may assume that Jesus would never lead us into danger or into difficulties. But that isn't the case. If we assume that will be, then we will be very confused by the Christian life and we may give up. No, the normal Christian life can at times feel like these Israelites, like their journey, going from difficulty to difficulty, but seeing the Lord provide. And maybe that's your experience right now. There are many lessons for us from these passages. And for some of us, these lessons are directly relevant now. For others, this is a case of storing away what we learn here to apply uh, later on. We're going to focus on three things. There could be many more from these passages. And the three things you can actually see on the back of your notice sheet as well. And you, if you want to fill in notes, you know, make notes on there, then you can. But you can just follow through to see where we're heading. And the first is this. The first thing to learn is don't grumble. It is very easy for us to fall into grumbling against the Lord, as it was for the Israelites. In the incident David just read... 
we're told that the Israelites were travelling through the desert. And for three days, it says in verse 22, for three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. Now that is, of course, very serious. You travel for three days without water in the heat of the desert, uh, it would be a threat to life. And then they come across water. The relief must have been wonderful. Yeah, Travelling for three days without water, can't go on much longer, uh, you're, you're suffering, you think you're going to die, and yet here is water. And I wonder how many of them thought, yeah, this is the Lord's provision for us. And yet as they scoop up the water to drink it, they find it is undrinkable water. Verse 23, when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. And so they grumbled. And Moses cries out to the Lord and the Lord shows him a piece of wood. This piece of wood that he throws in the water. What that does, I don't know. I presume it's just a miraculous thing that the Lord says, throw that piece in and the water becomes sweet. It becomes good to drink. But we need to see that grumbling is a regular feature in each of these incidents. The Israelites grumble again in chapter 16 when there's no food. So have a look at verse 3. They they complain that they've not got food. Uh, Verse 3, the Israelites said, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. There they are grumbling against the Lord and in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 16 um, it is that that the Lord picks up on it is their grumbling Uh, verse 7 and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him who are we that you should grumble against us verse 8 again Moses also said you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him They grumble. And when they lack water again in chapter 17, we'll come on to that in a little bit, in a bit more detail. Again, it it doesn't say they grumbled, but it says they quarreled, which seems to be a step further than grumbling, that they quarrel against the Lord. And when you get to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10, as Paul reflects on the Israelites' time in the wilderness, he says, these things, these passages in the Old Testament were written down for our learning. And he says, one of the lessons is, do not grumble as some of them did. It's clearly not wrong for us to bring our worries or our needs before the Lord. And even to say to the Lord, at times it feels like you're far off. David does that in the Psalms. But grumbling is something different. Grumbling ascribes to God a bad character and bad motives. Did you notice at one point they say, the Lord has brought us out here to kill us. They have changed the nature of God. They are assuming that God is not loving, that he is not good. And that is easily done for us. I wonder if you've found this. Times of suffering, times of trials, times of difficulties, we conclude God doesn't care. Or that God is mean. Or maybe even that God doesn't exist. Especially when, as with the water at the beginning, we think we see the Lord's provision, 
and it turns out not to be. We can then immediately conclude the Lord is bad. Grumbling brings down God's character. And it shows, as with the Israelites, that we have forgotten his loving salvation and his generous provision for us. Just a few days before, the Israelites had been on the banks of the river, praising God. And now, now they're grumbling, saying the Lord is bad. They've forgotten his salvation. They've forgotten his provision. And so too for us, when we're tempted to grumble, to say maybe the Lord doesn't care. We need to go back to our salvation, the cross of Jesus. And remember that God gave his one and only son for us, to rescue us. And as Paul argues in Romans, God did not spare his own son, so there is nothing that he would withhold from us. His rescue tells us of his incomparable love. And we also, I'm sure, look back in our own lives to the many ways the Lord has provided for us. We need to remind ourselves that he is good, that he is loving, and so not grumble. That's the first lesson. Don't grumble. And the second is to do with obedience. Obey the word of the Lord. That is actually at the heart of the first incident, the time uh, that David read out for us. At the heart of it actually is verse 26. Which says this, the Lord said, if you would listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now that actually is at the centre of this incident. The centre actually is not so much the Lord providing them with water, although that's very important, but it is the Lord saying, obey my commands. This is the big deal for the Lord, not so much uh, about the water, it is about their obedience. And this becomes an even bigger deal in the second incident with the food that they crave. They complain in chapter 16, as we've already said, that they don't have enough to eat. And the Lord promises to rain down for them bread from heaven and provide them with meat in the evening. That is the Lord's promise. They complain they don't have food. God says, I will provide you with bread and I'll provide you with meat. Then the glory of the... I'm not, we're not going to read through the whole of chapter 16. I'm just going to summarise for you. So after they've complained, the Lord makes this promise. Then the glory of the Lord appears in the desert in a cloud. And sure enough, that evening, quail covers the camp, little birds that they can catch and eat. And in the morning, when the dew has gone, there are thin flakes of what looks like frost, but they can gather it uh, and they can, uh, they can eat it. It is manna, or bread, from the Lord. But there are instructions for them that they are to obey. 
So have a look at chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. Moses says, Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's... I'm sorry, hang on, I've gone to the wrong place. I mean, I've turned too many pages. Chapter 16, there we go, that's better. Verses 19 and 20. Then Moses said to them, this is right. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So the Lord was, so Moses was angry with them. What's the instruction? The instruction is that they should collect what they need for that day. They're to eat it that day and they are not to save any for the next day. The next day they're to go out again and collect manna to collect this bread. That is their instructions. But it says some of them disobeyed and tried to stockpile, tried to keep some of the manna for the next day. But there's more instruction. Uh, they, They are told on the sixth day of the week that they were to store up more. They were to gather twice as much as on the Sabbath, because on the Sabbath day they were to rest. The seventh day they weren't to go out and get more food. Uh, They were to rest and eat what they'd gathered on the sixth day. And so, verse 24 uh, onwards, let me read that for you. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded it, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So here are the Lord's instructions, and there are useful things to pick up from each of them. Uh, The instruction that the people were to go out, collect the food for that day, and not stockpile it, not keep it overnight, is that they were to trust the Lord to provide day by day. And very often that is what we need to do too, isn't it? The Lord instructs us in when he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer to pray, give us today our daily bread. That is an interesting one in the light of this passage, isn't it? That God says, I, you know, pray for the Lord to provide today what you need. And very often the Lord does give. Uh, sometimes it's not wrong to, to save up your money. It's not wrong to do that. The Bible isn't against that. But very often, actually, we need to keep coming back to the Lord day by day to say, Lord, will you keep providing for me today what I need? But then interesting, on the sixth day that the Lord provided double so that on the Sabbath they could rest. And it says that the Sabbath was a gift to his people. They hadn't known Sabbath days while they were slaves in Egypt. That would have been work seven days a week. But now the Lord says, no, you are to rest one day a week. It's a gift from the Lord. If they'd been all about the food, if they'd been all about um, the the food, then uh, uh, then they would ignore that, wouldn't they? They would try and stockpile overnight during the week and then on the seventh day they'd try to get even more because that was what they would be about. But the Lord is saying, no, you trust me. It is about obeying my word. Go out day by day, but on the Sabbath you rest. And I wonder how you do it having a rest day each week. 
New Testament fulfillment of that is not necessarily to have it on the Saturday or on the Sunday, but we are to have a day of rest, and it works out well if you can do it on a Sunday as well. I wonder how you do it having a day of rest when you trust the Lord that he is the one who provides and that his word is what you need and that we are to be obedient to him. The big message there is that we are to obey God's word. Very often when we're struggling, when we're suffering, I know for me this is the case, that we focus on the wrong things, don't we? We focus on, will the Lord provide? Is he with us? We grumble, we complain. When actually the Lord says we are to focus on obedience. Obey his word and trust him to provide. Keep obeying. Trust and obey. So obey the word of the Lord. That's the second lesson that we pick out from these, these passages. And the third and last one is to look to the rock. In every one of the incidents, the Lord provides spectacularly. He provided them with the wood to be thrown into the water uh, that miraculously made the water good to drink. He provided them with bread and with quail. And then in the last of the incidents, in chapter 17, they are thirsty again. Just come to the beginning of chapter 17, would you? Page 75, where it says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And I wonder how many of them just felt dispirited again because they are facing the same problem again. Uh, Again, they don't have water. And as we read it, we think, well, now, come on, Israelites, the Lord provided before. He'll do it again. But I think we can struggle with this too, can't we? That when we face the same problems again and again, we can despair But need to remember, the Lord provided before. He will provide again. We need to learn the lesson that they did. And each time the Lord has provided in different ways, which is also a reminder that the problems we may face may seem to be the same, but the Lord's solution isn't always the same. He's not a one-trick pony. As Philip Ryken in his book on Exodus says, the mark of spiritual maturity is, a mark of spiritual maturity, is the ability to trust that the Lord will provide even when we can't see how. But there's a particular provision in this last incident that we need to see. Now I'm going to read this last incident uh, all the way through. So verses 1 to 7 of chapter 17 Uh, And then we just want to see a particular provision the Lord gives. So, chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, "'Give us water to drink.' Moses replied, "'Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test?' But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. 
The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, again, Philip Ryken in his book alerts us to the fact that there is something more going on in this incident than the previous incidents. Yet again, the people don't have water and they quarrel with Moses. But do you notice what Moses says about them in verse 2? At the end of verse 2, Moses says, Why do you put the Lord to the test? He says, They're putting the Lord to the test. And this is new. It hasn't said this so far, that that the people are testing the Lord. And Philip Ryken says, what they are doing is bringing a lawsuit against God. The Lord is being put on trial. And the accusation, the charge, is there in verse 3. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? This is the charge against you, God. And it says, they seem ready to stone Moses. Now that could have been an execution, a form of execution. So the people are not just bringing God to trial, they know what the verdict is and they know what they're going to do about it. They can't stone God, so they're going to stone Moses. And amazingly, it seems, the Lord goes along with this kind of trial idea. Because did you see what he says in verse 5? The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel. They would have been the people sort of for, for, for trials. For the, this is kind of like the jury that God is saying Moses should bring to the front. And he says to take with him the staff with which he struck the Nile. Now that was a moment of God's judgment. It's interesting that in this passage when he says, take the staff, it's the staff with which you struck the Nile. God's judgment, God's, uh, that's that's what's being highlighted there. So this courtroom setting almost is being set up. And it says, verse 6, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. That is the Lord saying that. But that translation isn't quite the best. It is not, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. No, more literal translations will say, I will stand there before you on the rock at Horeb. So the scene is set up. Moses in front of the people, the people bringing the charges against Moses. You've got the elders there as being like the jury. You've got Moses with the staff of God in his hand. And you've got God in front of them all on the rock at Horeb. And the question is, which way should the staff of God fall? Should it fall against the people? After all, God has said of the people, if you obey me, I will not send on you the plagues that I sent on the people of Egypt. But they haven't obeyed God, have they? We've seen it. Chapter 16, they didn't obey. The staff of God should fall against the people. But the Lord says, strike the rock. 
strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. The judgment of God, the staff of God, falls on God. And then life-giving water flows out. Here is the Lord's provision for his sinful, rebellious people that the judgment falls on him. And again in 1 Corinthians 10, when Paul uh, reflects on this incident, he gives us even more insight because he says that the rock was Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus here on the rock being struck instead of the people. What does that take us to? Well, it's prefiguring the cross, isn't it? Where Jesus would again be struck by the judgment of God as he hangs on the cross in our place, taking what we deserve. And so, look to the rock. Look to Jesus at all times, but uh, even more so in times of difficulty. Because there is the Lord's provision for you and me. And it shows that what we suffer in this life, the trials we go through, are not God's judgment against us. Because the judgment has already fallen if you're trusting in Christ. The judgment fell on him when he died on the cross. And actually the big lesson from each of these incidents is that Jesus is the fulfilment. The first incident where uh, they lacked water and then the Lord provided. And yet in the New Testament, Jesus meets the woman at the well. He says, come to me and I can give you living water. And then when the people don't have food and the Lord provides them with bread from heaven and yet in the New Testament in John's Gospel Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And here with the rock being struck and and water of life coming out and Paul telling us Jesus, that rock is Christ. In each incident the fulfilment is Jesus. He is the water, he is the bread, he is the rock. Will you look to him? Not that he will sort out your water supply at home or your groceries. That's not the answer, is it? But no, something far deeper. This is about water of life. This is about bread of life. This is about forgiveness of sins. Each one, we are to look to the rock, to Jesus, to provide. In good times and in particularly in hard times. And the hard times are there to take us yet again back to the rock is Jesus let me pray for us Heavenly Father we praise you that in each of these incidents they all point to Jesus help us Father to come to him for living water to come to him uh, who is the bread of life uh, to come to him who is the rock Help us to come to Jesus. Keep providing for us, we pray.
Amen.